Today's Animal Spirits Talking Book is brought to you by Halo. If you are an advisor, go to haloinvesting.com to learn more about how they have created the first marketplace dedicated to protective investment solutions. Haloinvesting.com. Welcome to Animal Spirits, a show about markets, life, and investing. Join Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson as they talk about what they're reading, writing, and watching. All opinions expressed by Michael and Ben are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to Animal Spirits with Michael and Ben. We've been talking a lot on the show lately about trade-offs, risk, reward, that sort of thing. And one of the tricky things about the relationship between reward and risk is that it's 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 not static. Or is it static? Wait, am I using that right? No, static? It's, no it's not static. So There we go. In, Thank you, Ben. In William Bernstein's new book, which I've mentioned a bunch of times lately, he talks about how different markets behave correlation-wise in inflationary and non-inflationary environments. And in inflationary environments and high-rate environments, you see the correlation between stocks and bonds rise, which makes sense from last year, right? Stocks and bonds both fell. The non-stat, it's a double negative. It threw me off. Yeah. I'll give you an A for effort. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that that really threw people off last year is that the the supposed hedge you thought in a down market didn't happen because stocks fell because bonds fell. And so I, I think it maybe some people have have rethought their relationship with bonds or, or act, are starting to rethink about how they find more of a one-to-one correlation as a hedge. So we talked to Matt Radgowski from Halo today, and and they created a hedge that does that, that like it up to a certain cap. As the market falls, it it hedges you and you get a reverse return for that. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> Not explaining this correctly. Well, guess what? We do a great job explaining on the show. So without any further ado, here's our conversation with Matt Radkowski. We're joined today by Matt Radkowski. Matt is the CEO of Halo. Welcome to the show, Matt. Yeah, great to be here. Appreciate it. So, so we've had Jason Barcima on the show a few times, but for those listeners that might have missed previous episodes, if you wouldn't mind just a refresh of who Halo is, what are you all about, who do you work with, and then we'll take it from there. Yeah, for sure. So uh, Halo Investing is a two-sided marketplace. Uh, our job is to bring protective investment solutions to the marketplace and connect the issuers of structured notes, uh, annuity products with advisors, uh, as well as the enterprises that they serve. And so you know, our job is really to you know, try and uh, create uh, solutions whereby advisors can easily integrate those products that, quite frankly, aren't as commonly used today. We're certainly uh, hoping to grow uh, their adoption and utilization, but uh, create you know, efficiencies in the operations as well as you know, ways they can better use these product solutions inside portfolios. Matt, one of the things that Jason has talked to us about in the past that surprised Michael and I is that the structured product market is places way bigger outside of the U.S., uh, you'd think a lot of the financial products would be used more in the U.S. because of how big and robust our our markets are. Not to brag. <laughs> what is the reason for that? Why did they take off in other countries, and why hasn't that expanded so much in the U.S. yet? Yeah, I, I think it comes down to the investors themselves, how they're wired, how they think about the markets, what's important to them. And so I, I think if we, uh, if we look at you know, utilization of uh, structured products in Europe, for instance, I think you have – 
an investor base that, you know, if you think about the pension schemes that are common, the insurance-based schemes that you, know, you exist within those markets, uh, where you have an investor base that's very focused on disciplined accumulation of assets, pension type, uh, you know, pension type security of income, you know, on the on their in their retirement phase, the note is a natural uh, solution in those environments, and so. If we think about you know, the the stock market in the U.S. You know, and it's you know, how it came about, um, you know, quite frankly, it's more of a, a speculative uh, environment, right? Trying to find that next next big stock, uh, get that hot stock tip, capitalize on it uh, to grow your investments, and so you know, we saw you know, really again an outsized uh, usage outside of the U.S. based on just the way those those investors are wired. Here in the U.S., again, focused more on accumulation, most on driving uh, driving return, less interested, quite frankly, at least in the past, I'll say, you know, on the protective nature of, of the solutions that are offered. That makes sense. So it's, it's a risk tolerance type of deal, basically. You got it. That's it. Yeah. So defined outcomes have been growing in popularity, particularly in the ETF world. Structure notes are a different wrapper, a different investment vehicle. Can you talk about some of the trade-offs between some of the things that we're seeing come to market on the ETF side versus what a structured note delivers? Just some of the pros, cons, or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, getting to the center or really the heart of the matter, it really comes down to you know, ease of implementation within a client portfolio. And that's really why I think you know, the ETF, uh, you've seen obviously tremendous growth uh, you know, when BlackRock decides to get into space, you know it's it's gaining in popularity and momentum. And so I think it's really around the access, right? You have a ticker-based ETF uh, that an advisor can easily purchase through uh, their platform of choice today. Uh, there's also just the perpetual nature of the ETF, right? There's creation, redemption that's ongoing. Uh, doesn't get called not- away. It doesn't get called away. That's exactly right. And so that perpetual nature of the, of the product, I think, uh, creates an attractiveness to it. Now, I would say you know, the, on the other side, right, in terms of the note, you know, just uh, the, uh, the customization, right, the ability to create and deliver unique structures, uh, the nimbleness of them and how they can be brought to market, whether we're talking about a calendar-based option or uh, a very custom reverse inquiry-based option, you know, there is additional flexibility in, in terms of the types of uh, risk and return profiles that can be achieved in the note. Obviously, then you need to manage that life cycle, and we, we can talk a lot about how we, we try and enter that equation. But those are, the, I think, the biggest uh, differences between the, the two. The perpetual nature of the ETF, right, as you point out, lack of callability, ease of consumption, right, just in terms of buying it on, you know, buying it on an exchange relative to buying that note with a set duration. There is the prospect of callability. You need to manage the life cycle in general in terms of when it's going to mature or when it might be called. That's a great answer. Two of the trends in investing, as I see it, are customization. That's a big one. And I would put this certainly way further down the spectrum in terms of relevance, but still gaining in popularity is, is defined outcome. Now, not for everybody, of course, but there are a lot of investors that are willing to trade off whatever upside they may, may be cutting off for wherever they set their personal risk tolerance on the downside. There's trade-offs like everything else. One of the nice things about notes is that you you know the trade-offs. You define them, right? With stocks and bonds, like 60, 40, 70, 30, you could define your risk tolerance, but you can't really define the outcome. So 
what Halo is is doing. It's really in the sweet spot of those two trends. Maybe talk a little bit about the customization that you offer on the platform. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, in, and just take it, I'll take a big step back. This is actually why I am at Halo. You know, I've spent my entire career, you know, developing, building, delivering, selling, uh, you know, uh, portfolio solutions. And so I, that per, that customization you talk about is one of the key reasons. I, you know, I will go back into the defined outcome as well, if it's all right, and you know, dig in as to why sure. I think that is actually hugely relevant. And I would say, you know, moving up, right, in terms of its relevance to both advisor and investor. And so, you know, from a personalization perspective, uh, I think that you know, just in general, the consumer, right, if we even zoom out from financial services, you know, think about us as consumers. Uh, we are uh, very demanding. We're very fickle. We want what we want, when we want, how we want it. Uh, <laughs> you can, you know, create your own custom pair of Nikes, get it tomorrow. Uh, you know, just in general, the demand for, you know, uh, your products that speak to uh, the individual are there. It extends right into the portfolio. You know, that individual wants to know that their portfolio that is being developed for them reflects uh, what exactly they want uh, what they're after uh, in 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 terms of you know return risk and outcome and so the ability to personalize the note I, I, I always I make the comment what could be more personalized than your own QCIP you know if you think about you know reverse inquiry building a note for your for yourself uh, nothing more personal than than your own QCIP there uh, but the ability to set those parameters very specifically in terms of you know what is the exposure you're looking for. You know, in terms of the underlier, whether it's an individual stock or index or elsewise, uh, you know, what are the characteristics of both upside participation and downside risk? Uh, to your point, those trade-offs, uh, quite frankly, are welcomed by a lot of uh, of investors, uh, and it actually speaks to the planning process that we can we can potentially dig in on a, a, as well. And so, again, the the ability to tailor in that experience for that investor. Uh, gives that advisor a definite advantage uh, in terms of how they market themselves to their clients. Uh, the technology we've built allows them to do it at scale, uh, which is obviously key. You know, you could um, you know, build the best personalization infrastructure, but if it doesn't scale, there's just no way that practice can grow. Uh, you know, as as they'd like. Matt, what was your? You mentioned your background. Were you on the banking side of things? Were you creating these products? Were you in the financial advisory world? Where where did you come from? Yeah, so you know, in the retail advisory and wealth management world, so I spent a, a bulk of my career at Morningstar, a great place. Uh, had a wonderful opportunity to you know, build traditional portfolios, mutual funds, ETF-based solutions, as well as you know, software solutions there, whether it's financial planning or, or other types of investment planning tools. And so, uh, you know, in, in Marco, you pointed it out, right? Like the process that an advisor usually goes, you know, heads down right there. They're trying to target some rate of return, maybe through a financial planning tool, maybe elsewise. They come out with a, a return hurdle, right? 7%, 8%, 9%. And then they take a 70-30 and hope, right, that the performance over time aligns with it. Uh, and, and I think, you know, the note, again, to me, is a very beautiful structure in basically, to your point, you know, taking a bit of the top side, removing you know, that uncertainty on the downside, really driving towards that outcome that an investor says they want. And for me, I'm always looking for the next best mousetrap. And, you know, when I was sitting there in my traditional mutual fund and ETF world, it was exposed to what the the structured note could offer. You know, it really changed my mindset and thinking. And that's, you know, that's quite frankly, uh, you know, through a series of conversations, how I ended up, uh, you know, here at Halo. One of the biggest inputs to the note that dictates the outcome is our interest rates. 
And given that the market rate environment looks vastly different today than it did maybe a year ago, can you talk about how advisors are changing how they use notes and, and how the level of starting interest rate impacts the outcomes either way? Yeah, this, this is actually a hugely important topic. And I think actually, in my opinion, if we get through, right, there's this, this shift in terms of product usage that we've seen. Uh, and I really do believe it could uh, you know, actually uh, lay the foundation for you know, dramatic you know, increase of usage. And so- I'm shocked to hear you say that, Matt. Yeah, I know, right? I know. <laughs> I mean it. And I'll, 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 try and, uh, I'll try and give you some uh, reasons other than uh, optimism as to why I think it will happen. <laughs> uh, but you know, if you think about you know, a lot of usage of notes, uh, great source of income, right? In that low interest rate environment, it was a great source of alternative income. And so you saw some pretty- uh, Pretty uh, great yields that could be generated by you know, through that uh, through that structure uh, of the note. You know, a- as we've seen you know, yields rise, right? If you think about traditional fixed income uh, markets these days, you actually saw, and we've seen, right? You saw it you, uh, through uh, back half of last year into this year, a dip in in uh, in note volumes uh, in the U.S. Uh, and you know, that obviously gives some some cause for concern, right? Is the structure still appropriate for the investor base today? You know, given this, you know, heavy, heavy focus in terms of uh, income-oriented notes, and so what we're seeing though is a shift in utilization. And so, to your point, uh, you can participate in the growth of a underlier. Let's just say S and P five hundred, or you know, the a combination of the indexes you're using, you know, as your strategic asset allocation policy. You know, the shift to growth note, uh, the growth note allows you to participate in that upside. You know, but set a buffer or barrier on that downside. And so it really does, in my opinion, shift towards making the note a core allocation to your, to your equity portfolio. So it's an equity replacement. You're layering in a hedge uh, within that portfolio. And, and that's where, again, I do think there's an attractiveness to the solution you know, for core portfolio allocation. And so what it's being used for uh, has shifted, right? So we're seeing shift from income notes to the growth notes. We're actually seeing the markets running up. And that does two things. One is it creates the FOMO, right, of the, of the person with the cash on the sidelines that's trying to figure out when to come into the market. Uh, and the note itself can be a great tool to say, hey, look, you come on in, right, get that equity exposure, but do it with your downside protection, uh, and for the individual that was, you know, I'll say smart enough, right, to participate in this massive run-up in the S&P 5, they now may be, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more concerned, right, around where valuations are. Have we topped out? Uh, what do I need to do in order to, to make sure I uh, maybe take some risk off the table? And the note, again, right, can be a, situa- a, a product used in that situation to say, you know, let's allocate to the note. Right, we can still maintain our equity exposure, but then uh, mitigate that risk on the downside if we do, in fact, see uh, again, um, you know, volatility return and maybe some, you know, some, uh, you know, some profit taking, uh, you know, within the equity markets. And so, uh, you know, so again, I think its utilization uh, is has changed. We're seeing you know volumes catch up uh, to the levels we saw, you know, at the uh, you know through last year. But again, I think the the way it can be used in a portfolio is such that it can be a strong, you know, kind of let's call it, you know, omnipresent allocation. Uh, it's not the the sledgehammer to every nail, like you say. It's it's again, it's, it's no, there's no panacea, no free lunch, right? But it can be used in a disciplined way 
to either entice investors that are kind of you know, a little bit of trepidation about getting back in or those that are in uh, can create some, you know, some uh, protection against uh, you know, downside swing there. Can you explain some of the similarities and differences between the, the growth and income notes that you were mentioning? Yeah, so, so the biggest difference, right, and like, you know, we'll kind of keep it at its core, is um, you know, what is actually produced in terms of outcome. And so when you price an income note, right, the, the, uh, the output from that issuer, so the issuer basically says, uh, for this underlier, for this duration, uh, yeah, I will effectively pay you a coupon, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a annualized yield of X percent. Right. And so that's kind of the, you know, the basics of it. Right. So it's, again, similar to a, uh, you know, traditional fixed income instrument in that it has uh, a yield that it is uh, it is willing to pay, again, still based on certain parameters of the market. Right. In terms of its performance, um, you know, it's subject to the performance of the market. But again, the outcome uh, is 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 delivered in the form of a yield, whereas opposed to growth note says, OK, uh, if you give a duration um, and there's ways to set different parameters, but for for you know, uh, a simple example's sake, if you give it a duration and you give it a level of downside protection that you're seeking, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 percent, um, you know, in the form of you know, there's hard protection, soft protection we can get into if we'd like, but you you basically set that protection level you're looking for, and the output or the return is the participation in that market. So if you have a uh, S&P 500 growth note, it will say you can participate in the the, um, the S&P 500 at a 150%, 120% participation rate subject to some cap, right? So that's kind of the resultant, um, you know, the resultant output uh, or experience from the note. So if you kind of think about it, it's yield, right? I'm going to deliver a yield or I'm going to deliver a participation in that that uh, that equity underlier with some downside risk mitigation. Matt, let me push back a little bit or see yep. some clarity on a potential hedge. So let's say that you've got 30%, or let's just say 40%, whatever, that doesn't matter. 40% downside protection, the note matures in two years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if the market falls 50%, so I buy the note, over the next six months, the market falls 50%, it recovers and uh, the market is down 20% at maturity. So great, you get your money back at maturity, but the hedge didn't necessarily kick in because there was like a, a timing mismatch. That's obviously no fault of anybody's, but you're not hedged against downside really unless you get, unless the downside corresponds with the maturity date. What is wrong with that line of thinking or maybe add some context to it? Yeah, so I guess just to, I'm going to kind of replay the question to make sure I'm getting it right. And so you're basically saying, you, really, uh, I'll sum it up by saying the, the the protection only matters at maturity, right? Is that kind of yeah? Yeah, yeah I guess the pushback to what I just said is, well, listen. So if the market falls fifty percent, your note doesn't drop fifty percent, right? Correct. So you you could yeah. look at it that way. But the hedge is the 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 hedge to the extent that the hedge exists, it's it's at maturity. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So you you are you you are in fact enticed to hold that note to maturity. Now in that example, right? So if you hold that note to maturity in the market, you know, when you come back, so say over the duration of that note you described there, the market is down twenty percent at maturity, mm-hmm. right? You're paid back at at par, right? right? So your initial investment is protected. You've insulated yourself from that twenty percent downside, and so um, that is where you know in terms of the ultimate strategies, you may want to. 
you know, similar, quite frankly, let's call it to a, you know, a ladder bond scenario. Maybe you want to ladder in notes with differing maturities, right, at differing levels of protection, given what you've seen in that market. But but to me, I think, you know, and, and just want to make sure we're, we're on the same page there. Like, it, you know, yes, you're absolutely right. The only thing that matters in terms of that protection is what happens at maturity. Um, however, that protection is there for that full duration of um, your, your hold. Yeah, I guess I guess said said differently, it's not like a liquid hedge. It's not it's not as if the market falls forty percent and you can then like cash out, right? It's not like it's not like tail risk insurance or anything like that. That's exactly correct. You're you are you're exactly right. Yeah. Yep. And that's where again I think some of those laddering strategies can come into play, right? Where as you're seeing things happen in the market, uh, and you're seeing, you know, just uh you know where your where your note uh, performance you know lies relative to uh your Gap, uh, you know, time to maturity uh, you, that may cause you to make additional decisions around initial additional note purchases. Et Actually, here here is a here is a direct hedge that it's not liquid, but here is here is a hedge that we've never spoken about with Jason. I don't think maybe we have. Can you talk about how absolute notes work? We actually have. Uh, I'll say an interesting, uh, you know, uh, note idea that's gained a lot of traction. And so basically, yeah. So, you know, I'll give you an example, right? So this note I'll share as an example, and I uh, hope that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll sort that out later if we need to, guys. Uh, but so in this case, right, for example, a uh, note tied to the S&P 500. And basically it says, uh, if that note trades down more than 25% from when it's issued, that note is immediately callable. Sorry, when you say that note, do you do you mean like if you buy, you mean if the S and P five hundred drops by that amount? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So it's an S and P five hundred linked note. So S and P five is the underlier, right? Uh, in this case, if the note itself, I'm sorry, if the S and P five declines by more than twenty five percent, that note is called, and your principal is returned. All right. Now here's where the absolute comes in. Where's the caveats? Get, wait, hold, hold on. I, I want more. I want more more color on that. Yeah. So w- what's the what's the time horizon of that note? Yeah, it's eighteen month note. Right now. All right. So if the S and P five hundred falls eighteen falls twenty five percent or more in an eighteen month window, you get a hundred cents on the dollar. You got it. What happens at maturity if that doesn't? If that's not the case? Okay. So if the if the S and P five down is down between zero and twenty five percent, it will actually pay the absolute value. So if it's down 15%, it will pay you 15%, right? So that, that's where the absolute note comes in. Right? Oh, okay. I got it. And what if the market's up 20%? I assume there's a cap on the upside? There's a cap. It's On this note, it's, you know, you're capped at about 6 to 8%. So it is a, it's a bearish note. Let's, you know, let's just be, a, let's, let's be honest here, right? But it is. If you have concerns about where the, where the market is, uh, if you think it's overheated, overvalued, that absolute note will, again, uh, pay you the inverse. Uh, in, so up in to the, a point, you, you're at, you were at a negative one correlation to the market. That's correct. Yep. yep. At maturity. At maturity. This is why I, I am a, a fan. Obviously, this is not, recommend, this is not a, a investment advice, but I am a fan of customization. Now, there's a limit. You, you know, I, don't want, I don't want clients moving all the dials and stuff. Obviously, as the advisor, you want to control the outcome and present them with reasonable options. But what you described to me for a portion of a portfolio for somebody who is, you know, a little bit on the on the nervous side, that's a reasonable way. Now, could somebody say there are better ways to oh fine, fine, fine. But I think it's a reasonable, a reasonable hedge. I agree. With all the caveats you you mentioned, you know, I'll I'll double down on those and then say, of course, right? You know, and I mentioned, you know, it's no hammer to every nail, there's no silver bullet. But again, yeah, it is a it is a uh, you know a very uh, strong tool that can be utilized 
really in many different ways within that client's portfolio. In this case, again, like you said, if you have some trepidation, right, if you're concerned about where the market is, you know, it's a way, quite frankly, to engage the investor and keep them you know, in the you know, in the market, right? Keep them investing, which I think is absolutely critical, right? You know, in terms of their overall ability to fund their needs in the future. Uh, you know, the thing we want to emphasize is, you know, again, you know, not to get too soapboxy, but keep that investor, get them in the market, keep them invested in the market, exactly. and, and make sure that they don't, again, miss out through timing miscalculations, which, you know, again, can be crushing to, to portfolio performance. There, there are obviously ways to get opportunistic here. And I think one of the things that, that Jason has mentioned to us in the past is that he's always kept a sleeve of structured products in his, in his portfolios. Are there any strategies that advisors apply to their portfolios, their client portfolios, where they're agnostic to what's going on in the market or levels of rates where they just say, this is the strategy that, that we're going to implement come hell or high water. Are there any interesting or unique strategies that advisors are doing that way where they're just saying, we're keeping a sleeve of structured products and this is the way that we're looking at it? Yeah, it's funny. I, I you know, say this a bit tongue-in-cheek. I don't know if they're interesting, <laughs> but they're right. definitely utilized, right? And so, and that actually, I think, you know, in a way speaks to the the utility of them. And so, yeah, we, you know, we've, you know, I'm sure Jason has talked a lot about, you know, hedged equity strategy or just notes within his portfolios. And so, you know, we have seen note programs that basically, you know, utilize that note uh, I'd say almost like if you think about, uh, and I lived a lot of my life in that target date world where you know, as your horizon, as you move through your horizon and you move towards ultimately uh, the point when you're moving to, you know, from accumulation to decumulation, you're basically systematically taking uh, risk or what you perceive as risk off the table by moving into fixed income from equity. And so we've seen a lot of uh, advisors utilize a core allocation to that growth note with downside protection throughout their asset class exposures, you know, you see it varying in terms of size, and we'll talk about how Horizon impacts that, but basically as a core allocation, just to say, regardless of what's going on in the market around me, I basically want exposure to those uh, to those uh, asset classes, but I want to do so in a risk, uh, uh, you know, a risk managed way. Now, what changes over time is, as that individual progresses through time, uh, or valuations or other outside factors indicate, uh, they'll actually increase the level of protection, right? So if you think about it, instead of a glide path where you're trading off equity risk, right, for fixed income risk or shortfall risk or other risks, you know, there's the risks just don't go away. They're actually using them to increase the protection level as they progress towards retirement date. Uh, so again, they stay invested in the market, so they continue to accumulate, right, which manages shortfall risk. Uh, while also, again, uh, you know, keeping that downside protection. This is interesting to something Michael and I were talking about recently. What was the Bloomberg chart last week, Michael? Like the put option protection is as cheap as it's been in how long? I can't remember. Right. A couple of years, I think. It, yeah. Is, is that something that you're seeing in the options that the, which kind of seems bizarre considering the market's going up, but it, 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 there's some dynamics going on in the market where it's actually cheaper right now to buy protection than it has been in the past. Yeah, and we're we're seeing that for for sure. And you know, again, I, I I'm going to raise my hand and say no expert, right? In terms of the underlying causation of that, right? I, I don't want to, you know, definitely don't want to you know, put myself out there as such. But you know, uh, it definitely uh, again seeing that uh, you know there are some you know very strong, interesting, right? Uh, pricing there, you know, in terms of these growth notes and. 
Yeah, yeah. Again, and that actually allows for the participation rates, right? You know, if you if you think about participation rates, which is where that would, you know, the cost of that hedge would show itself. You know, you're seeing some, you know, some uh, some interesting, uh, you know, uh, um, per, uh, participation levels, uh, you know, come through there. Matt, given the the nature of the platform and how many knobs there are to potentially turn, I'm guessing that there's no plans for this to be open to the general public, right? You have to, right, right, right now, you have, to, you have to go through an advisor to buy this. Any ambitions to go direct to consumer? So I think it, you know, the market itself, right? We're talking about a $100 billion market today in issuance. Uh, well, not $100 billion. $100 billion in issuance uh, in 2020, 2022. And so I think there will be a point in time uh, in the distant future, right, where um, you know, just the mat- you know, maturity of the investor base, right? If we just think about, you know, how markets tend to work, uh, access to analytics and information, just the the the, the ability to understand nuance grows. Uh, I will say, available in the the European marketplace today, effectively direct to consumer, right? You okay. can walk in and buy. Uh, and so, I would say we'll get there. However, there's just a lot of, uh, to me, value in the advice that comes along with them, right? I am a true believer in, you know, the, the, you know, the job the advisor does. I think, you know, building portfolios with notes, you know, again, is so nascent, you know, just in terms of the adoption across the advisor base. And until it can be easily incorporated into the model uh, in terms of the life cycle being managed easily, you know, in terms of just you know general general market knowledge and understanding, I just think there's a lot of work yet to be done. I think we'll get there. I just think there's a lot of work yet to be done, and and I just think you know for me, uh, I think we might be just a bit too soon to get there. But you know, promising future, right? I, I think investors are smart. Uh, I think they've taken to tools as they've come to come to market. Um, you know, but again, just the complexities of it. You mentioned the knobs, the you know, the buttons, the knobs, the levers that can be pushed and pulled. Uh, you know, I just think right at this moment, uh, as an industry, um, we're probably better off arming the advisor with the tools and technology and the know-how uh, to effectively use them. And those the, those those strategies, as they you know are continued to be refined over time, can then be parroted in a more direct to consumer way. Great, Matt. Where can we send advisors to learn more? You can send advisors to haloinvesting.com. Perfect. Thanks so much, Matt. We appreciate the time. I really appreciate the time today. Thanks again to Matt. Thank you to Halo. Remember, haloinvesting.com and send us an email at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.